My first journalism job was as an editorial assistant at my hometown newspaper, the Williamsport Sun-Gazette. I was 22. I wasn't sure I wanted to work as a journalist, but the job seemed more interesting than the temp assignment I'd been working all summer. Plus, I figured it was a good way to dip my toe in the water and find out whether this was a career I was interested in pursuing. My first day was September 10th, 2001. By the time I arrived for my shift on day two, the newsroom was full of busy people working on a special afternoon edition about the hijacked planes that crashed in New York, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania. Everyone knew better than to ask the new girl for anything, so I learned the first big lesson of my career. If you don't have anything to do, stay out of the way. The following year, I made the leap to reporter with a small twice-weekly newspaper in the south suburbs of Chicago. I was still wary of being part of an industry that had traumatized my town in 1996, but I quickly learned there was so much more to journalism than the headlines and intrusive photos you see after a tragedy. I got to be the eyes and ears of a community. I told people what their local government was doing, what new businesses were coming to town. I got to tell the world about a young couple who had taken in 13 orphaned children and share the story about a meteorite that had landed in the town I covered. I also met some amazing people, including a handsome photojournalist named Matt Grotto, who is now my husband and the sound editor of this podcast. It was a hard job. It was also immensely rewarding. I don't know too many people working in newspapers anymore. The pressure is high and the money is low. But those who have stuck it out, especially in local media, are some of the most dedicated in the business. I don't intend to make a whole episode on journalism ethics and professionalism, but let me just say there's a spectrum. I've worked with incredible people who tell stories with the utmost care for their subjects. I've also known, I'll just say it, a couple of scumbags. But one thing you never expect or want as a reporter is to become part of the news yourself. So it was all the more shocking when, on June 28, 2018, a man shot out the glass door of the Capitol Gazette building in Annapolis, Maryland, and killed five employees. Later that day, with so many unknowns about what had happened and why, a Capitol Gazette reporter tweeted one thing he knew for sure. I can tell you this, he said. We are putting out a damn paper tomorrow. I'm Erica Grotto. This is Survived By. This one time, this one time, I don't want to be alone. Pamela Wood was a reporter for the Baltimore Sun in June of 2018, but she'd spent her formative years at the Capitol Gazette. I worked for the Capitol Gazette newspapers for uh, about 13 years, straight out of college in 2000. I went to the Maryland Gazette, which was a little community newspaper. It came out twice a week. This was 2000. We didn't even have a website. I stayed there for almost three years and learned how to become a professional journalist in this like tiny office with like five reporters, uh, a few editors. Uh, then I got promoted up to the Capitol newspaper, which is a daily in Annapolis and is a little bit bigger, but it's still a small town newspaper. And I worked there for 10 years from 2003 to 2013. The names here can get a little confusing, and it's tangential to the story anyway, but here's a quick explanation. The Capital Gazette is the name of the company, and the newspapers it produces with its shared staff are the Capital and the Maryland Gazette. I worked in a similar setup when I first moved to Chicago. The more important thing to understand is the newsroom environment. 
Like any workplace, there's office politics, competition, all the usual stuff. But when one of your coworkers needs help or support on a story, you step up because you're not there for yourself. You're there to serve the public. The Capital Gazette world is, I think, like a lot of small newspapers, pretty tight. Um, you know, we have periodic get-togethers of alumni who've gone on to papers all over and, and websites all over. You know, there's an email list and a Facebook group and, you know, people who've worked at the Capitol, even from different eras, uh, find ways to connect and have a special bond, having ha having survived a little a little newspaper. Tell me about your memories of the day of the shooting like what what was your what were you doing you know how did you hear about what happened what was your reaction i was uh covering elections for the baltimore sun the sister paper we had had a primary election two days prior so i was uh at a elections warehouse where they were uh counting absentee ballots in this like very tight election um i was in north of Baltimore City, so probably about an hour from Annapolis is where I was. And, you know, they're counting the ballots. And then my personal phone started ringing, but I was busy, so I didn't answer it. And then somebody, I don't remember who, somebody from the election staff or one of the campaigns just like showed me their phone. And it said something about like shots fired or shooting at the Capitol newspaper in Annapolis. And I just I just gasped and I was like, oh my God, like what's going on? And so then I'm immediate, it's a little bit of a blur. I just, I very specifically remember someone just showing their phone to me. And then I start, you know, calling back to my newsroom and calling my friends and like trying to figure out what's happening. And then also weirdly, I was like waiting for a key vote total to be posted. And like, somehow I didn't like lose my cool. I'm not sure. I think I was a little like in shock. And at this point, we didn't know if anybody was killed. We didn't know if anybody was hurt, just that there was like a shooting and there was a response. And um, I got the numbers that I needed and I just like fled out to my car. And I just started like sobbing in my car in the parking lot and just both my phones are just blowing up trying to gather information figure out what to do and i just i wanted to drive to annapolis or i wanted to drive you know to the scene or i wanted to drive to like our downtown baltimore newsroom for for the baltimore sun but like i was afraid to like get in the car and drive because then i couldn't be on the phone and like gather information and if if and i would be in a little bit of an information blackout but it was just you know, you know, word kept coming and, and I had a scrap piece of paper and I started writing on the top who I knew was okay. And then I had a line and I started writing the names of like who we had, we didn't know about, like who, you know, we didn't know if they were okay because some people were, they were tweeting or they were texting or they were calling, you know, some people who, we knew were not in the building at the time or people who some of them who got out were able to communicate that they were okay but it was some they didn't have their phones you know when you flee i learned when you flee this sort of thing you don't always have your phone with you and so we were like again this whole network of people who had worked at the capitol we were just sharing whatever information we had what we were learning from news reports and 
you know, just talking with each other, trying to figure out like who was okay and who wasn't. And it like very quickly became clear that it was going to be, you know, pretty, uh, pretty bad. So yeah, it was a, it was parts of that day are fuzzy, but I mean, you don't ever forget something uh, like that. Yeah. So what, when did you find out exactly what had happened and who had been killed? It had to have been, it was well before it was like officially announced and well before we, we meaning the Baltimore Sun and the Capitol, um, you know, published the stories of the names. Like we definitely figured it out uh, very early within, I think a couple hours probably. Um, Cause it happened around two 30 and probably within like an, a couple hours, I think. Um, and we also honestly figured out who the murderer was. Um, I remember being on the phone uh, with another Capitol alum and he said, I bet it was this guy. And I don't like saying his name. So <laughs> if you'll forgive me for that, but he said the guy's name. And I immediately said, of course, that's who it was. Um, so were you familiar with him? Yes. So the man who did this um, had a long running feud with the paper going back to when I was there. Um, it didn't have to do with me specifically, but he had, and this has been well documented, he had complaints about coverage of him. He had been... Um, stalking and harassing a classmate and he was featured in a piece a piece that was like a cautionary tale about connecting with people online and he had filed all of these lawsuits um you know as a pro se defendant representing himself and trying to you know they were all unsuccessful um and he had some harassment of employees he used to send weird twitter messages he would send disturbing emails um again this has been reported on it was he was reported to the police at one point the state's attorney which is the local prosecutor they looked into it at one point um but nothing he did against the paper rose to the a criminal level um and he kind of disappeared for a while and i had forgotten about him uh for a few years and then you know suddenly my friend said i bet it's that guy and it turned out that's that's who it was and so we knew that as well it was way later that night the police announced that they had charged him but we had all like figured it out uh, already it's it's interesting and just in my few years as as a newspaper reporter you have those people right like and and it doesn't always rise to the level of lawsuits and harassment but you get these calls you know who they are and and by and large they kind of become hey remember that weird guy who used to call us all the time you never expect it to get to a point where there's where there's violence right there's it's common that you have these like cranky people these annoying people who like complain or kind of annoying and how do you know when it's somebody who's like weird and harmless or weird and potentially harmful? I mean, I, I will say that, um, and I, I've said this before, the guy who did this to the Capitol, after I went to the Baltimore Sun, um, within my first week at the Baltimore Sun, he sent me a super weird, creepy email. And, uh, 
I had to report it to like my editors and to legal at my brand new job, my dream job. I had been there a week and I was like, oh no, they're going to think I'm a problem employee because this guy has followed me and is sending weird, sent me a weird email. And then he never contacted me again, but you just, we used to not worry about those people. We used to always think these people are harmless, but we've learned they can be harmful. And I know one lesson from what happened at the Capitol, at the news organizations I've worked with, we take these sorts of people much more seriously. Um, you know, anytime there's a hint, you know, we immediately, you're supposed to tell your manager, the manager talks to security, um, you know, figure it out if there's a threat or not, or at least document it in a file in case it gets worse. Um, and, and I think the places I've worked are not alone in that. I think this was really a wake up call for news organizations um, overall to, to take these kind of people seriously. That night, I remember getting a call from my editor and he, he asked me if I would be okay to cover the bail review the next morning. And he, and he was very clear to say like, if you don't think you can do it, it's okay. Um, and I said, no, I wanna be there. Like we need to have, we need to have people as part of the story who understand the Capitol newspaper and understand the Annapolis community. I remember going in the courtroom and it was packed. Uh, and I put on my Capitol badge. Like I still have my, cause of course journalists, we all keep all our badges. And like I put it on my badge. Cause I was like, you know what? I'm here for them too. Cause my, I was part of covering for both papers. And he appeared by video link from the jail. And so he was on this like big screen and it was like, I did not know I was capable of just such like blind, like fury and rage. The proceedings were perfunctory. The accused was held without bail and said nothing. Wood covered a press conference outside and did a sit down with the county police chief that afternoon. That's all pretty standard coverage, but it didn't feel that way. It was very weird to like hear him talking about what had happened and you know, to people that I, I knew, you know, um, you, you do these sorts of stories when you're a cops reporter, but, um, so I was deep in that. Still a crime scene. The Capitol newsroom was uninhabitable. So the paper borrowed space from the university of Maryland. Wood went there to assist with coverage. They had to put out a damn newspaper as uh, reporter Chase Cook said, but they literally had like half their staff murdered and the other half of their staff was like so like traumatized and they were like we we had to write stories to like go in the paper so i was one of the people detailed there and it was like like i don't want to make this about me but like that was like one of the most rewarding things i've ever done in my journalism career was to like help that paper when they needed it just to like keep going you know just to keep putting that paper out every day you know, until they found some footing and and could start to, like, rebuild. You've described a, a scenario where you were you were pretty close to what happened. Um, you knew some of the victims. You knew the perpetrator. Um, but you're talking about it in a very journalist kind of way. Did that help in that time that you had a task, that you had something to do where you could be helpful? I think it helped me to be productive and helpful and to 
you know, so often when we see when bad things happen, whether it happened to us or we just see them, you know, on the news, some tragedy somewhere else, we all feel so helpless. Like, what am I supposed to do about, you know, children getting gunned down in school? Or what am I supposed to do about this like hurricane? Like, I can, I can write, I can send a donation to a charity. Like, what can I do? In this case, I was able to like be there for my community, be there for that paper and help them out and do something productive. In that temporary newsroom, I I started fielding requests from people who wanted to send like food or sodas or, you know, things. And, and eventually someone from the University of Maryland, like she had to head up fielding all of the requests for help, all the people who wanted to help that staff. And eventually their newsroom just got covered. The walls were covered in letters and cards and banners of support from newsrooms across the country, um, from journalism students, um, from local people in the community. Um, but there really was a lot of support. And also alumni from the Capitol came back to do reporting stints in those months afterwards. A lot of people came back in to just work for free for a few weeks and just cover the mundane news, the normal news in Annapolis. And you know, other news organizations sent people to come fill in and it was really a, a nice, you know, gesture of people banding together, um, you know, to help out the this, this small town newspaper. That was really nice. Wood wore her Capitol badge proudly as she continued to cover the story, but she was careful to keep her distance as well. Reporters from other publications would approach her to ask for interviews, but she always said no. She was there to do a job. When we spoke, Wood was standing in the press room in the State House in Annapolis, she picked the spot specifically for what could be seen behind her, so I asked her to describe it. The politicians in the, the state legislature here passed a resolution honoring the victims and survivors of the Capitol. They designated June 28th every year as Freedom of the Press Day, and they put two plaques in the press workroom to honor the press generally and to honor the five people who were murdered at the Capitol newspaper. And it's it's right when you come inside the door and everybody comes in the first time to this room, uh, remarks on it. And for me personally, when I uh, came to work in this room and I got the opportunity to pick a desk, I picked the desks uh, under the plaques because I thought, you know, I can, I always keep them in mind in my work, but I can, you know, I, I literally feel like I have them looking over me a little bit because their names are on a plaque, you know, right above my desk. Local newspapers are more than information sources. They're also community members, and by extension, so are their employees. And the Annapolis community wrapped its arms around the Capital Gazette in its time of need. So the most rewarding moment, I think, was on the 4th of July. I was working for the Capital newspaper in their temporary newsroom, and Annapolis loves a good, loves a good parade, and 4th of July is no exception. And they put the Capitol newspaper, they convinced the staff and the survivors to march in the parade, which is something that journalists don't normally do, but they did. And some of the families were in it too. And they put them right at the front of the parade. And it was like the whole way people were just cheering and like applauding them. And I interviewed, sorry, I interviewed all these people who like understood the importance of like you know, our freedoms in the United States and the First Amendment. And 
just the pride in the community that these folks were so dedicated to it and were pushing forward in spite of this immense tragedy. It was like, it was the community at its best, you know, honoring these journalists. And I felt honored to tell that story um, and put it in the newspaper. How how has what happened affected the way you report on things like tragedies? Or I mean, is that is that part of your your job? I mean, I know you've been covering elections and government, um, but but has it affected in a direct way the way that you go about your job? I think as a journalist, I I intellectually knew a lot of things that are important in covering tragedy. Um, but when it happens in your orbit, it just underscores really how important some things are. For example, not plastering the photo of a murderer or perpetrator all over the place, not having giant pictures of them. Remembering to center on the victims and the survivors, not only centering on the perpetrator. It's of course important to understand why people do these things and how they got there and were there breakdowns in the system you know how do we prevent this so it is important to understand and report on the perpetrators but you know not glorify them and also not forget the voices of the people who are affected and seeing like i mean it was hard for me to just scroll through twitter and just see this guy's mugshot over and over again and for my friends who were so much closer to it you know, it was absolutely re-traumatizing for them every single time. And even though I intellectually knew those things before, those best practices as a reporter, to know it emotionally is, um, I think, that much more important. And I, like so many else, other people who were close to this, I think are now sort of advocates in our own newsrooms to remind people like, okay, can we not make his picture the thumbnail image? that's going to show up on social media? Or can we, let's make sure we get the names of the victims here. Um, those sorts of things. Like I've, I, I am better at remembering that because I know how it affected people who are, who were near me. Years ago, I met a woman who lost her husband in the September 11th attacks. He was a passenger on United Airlines flight 175 when it crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. I asked whether she'd had a bad experience with the media in the aftermath, and she said no, reporters were all respectful. But there was one thing. The video footage of the plane hitting the tower was shown repeatedly on the news, forcing her to witness the death of her husband over and over and over again. I still have a copy of that special edition of the Williamsport Sun Gazette. The front page bears two images above the fold, one of Flight 175 approaching the building, one of the explosion as it hits. I look at those images differently now that I know about the life of someone on that plane. But there's another photo on that front page. It shows people running away from the World Trade Center as one of the towers collapses. It must be one of hundreds or thousands the photographer took that day, putting their own life at risk to inform the public about what had happened. The media industry is complicated and editorial decisions of individual organizations or people could be a podcast all on its own. But when it comes down to it, I believe in the power of the press, and I'm grateful for those dedicated enough to put out a damn paper.
Sister.